From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrin. Ah, dear friends, thanks for inviting me into your home, and uh, I do take that responsibility very seriously. My hope for you is that wherever you are, you are safe and you are warm and you are well-fed. Interesting, I... um, being someone on the radio, I don't get recognized a whole lot when I go out and in public. Occasionally, people will uh, recognize me from uh, the television show. And uh, I took the boys uh, last week uh, to a, um, an AHL hockey game, their first professional hockey game. The Toronto Marlies were playing the Hamilton Bulldogs. Went to the concession stand, and the person working the concession stand recognized me from the TV show. Then it happened a few nights later. The mighty Aphrodite and I were out at a function. A couple of people recognized me, came over. And and when I am recognized, people come over. And there are three or four things that they want to me about or talk to me about. Uh, and depending on their age, the first category, it's either, who do you think really killed John Kennedy? And then they'll offer their opinion. Or maybe if they're a bit younger, they want to talk about 9-11 because that is sort of, you know, the watershed mo- moment for a particular generation. Who do you think was responsible? Was it an inside job? So there's that category. And then the other one, the other category, is obviously, you know, UFOs. Huge topic. And they'll ask me if I've seen one, and I have not. And then they'll relate their experience. The other huge area, and this has happened probably more often than I can remember, when people come up to me at a party, at a function, and in a very quiet voice... They'll ask me about ghosts, and they'll tell me about their experience, having seen a ghost, and whether I have. And I have, and I have talked about it on the air a number of times, and I won't, I won't bore you with that story again. But that's the thing. You would be shocked. If you're in a crowded room, 20 to 30% of the people in that room have seen a ghost, or believe they have seen a ghost. But it goes unsaid. People don't talk about it in public. They're afraid of the ridicule. They're afraid of being shunned by their peers or being perceived as a little loopy. And many of you know, you know this. You've, you've had an experience, but you don't go around broadcasting it. But if you only knew that the person sitting next to you at the bar or at the hockey game had a similar experience, I think you'd feel a little bit better. You'd be willing to open up a little bit more. 20 to 30 percent, I'm guessing. It might even be higher. Many of you also may be living in a house that you suspect may be haunted. Maybe you haven't seen an apparition, but you, maybe you felt something or you've heard something. Well, this next hour, half hour actually, is dedicated to you. We're going to talk about what makes a house haunted. Some of the things you're going to hear you've already, you already know, but some of the things may actually surprise you. What makes a house haunted? Rosemary Ellen Giley is one of the leading experts on the paranormal with more than 50 books published by major houses on a wide range of paranormal, spiritual, and mystical topics, including nine single-volume encyclopedias. Her work is translated into 15 languages. She's worked full-time in the paranormal since 1983, more than 30 years, researching, investigating, writing, presenting, and teaching. Her present work focuses on interdimensional entities, contact experiences of all kinds, technological and mediumistic spirit communications, spiritual growth and development problem hauntings and portals. And she joins us once a month on this program, and we're delighted to welcome her each and every month. Rosemary, how are you? I'm doing well, Richard. 
Now, I just... UFOs, I had a great time out in uh, Arizona at the UFO Congress again this year. We missed you. I know. I'm sorry I couldn't make it this year. I always have a wonderful time as well. And, um, well, i got to get there next year. Certainly with this weather, it would have been great to be in Phoenix in February. <laughs> Lord oh knows. Oh, my gosh, yes. <laughs> now, I just threw that figure out, 20 to 30 percent. I'm probably lowballing it. But, uh, I mean, how many... Have you seen any polling regarding... The, what's the latest polling on the number of people that have seen ghosts? I haven't seen a poll in quite some time, and admittedly, I do deal in in a, a skewed universe, so to speak, because um, uh, most of the people I come in contact with in my work are, are dealing with uh, haunted experiences and even problems. But uh, I would reckon it's much higher. Haunting activity is very prevalent in the landscape, and certainly that affects the houses that we live in and the buildings that we work in. And sometimes the activity is very low level. We we might um, not notice it a lot, maybe just occasionally, uh, but I would probably uh, say at least 50% of, of people have had some kind of haunting experience at some point. 50%? Wow. Yeah, I was lowballing it then. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty conservative uh, in everything, so I was being very conservative. Uh, but, and, and I'm guessing also, I mean, I know with, let's say, for example, the UFO phenomenon, probably... You know, somewhere between 80, maybe 90, maybe even higher, 80, 90 percent of those probably have uh, a more prosaic explanation. But it's that, you know, 15, 20 percent that leaves you scratching your head. Would you say that it's same, it's the same in the, in, in, with ghosts and hauntings that maybe 80 percent or more can be explained by some other more worldly explanation, not supernatural? There are many cases that can be explained naturally. And of course, A good paranormal investigator is going to look for natural explanations first. You know, old houses, they have creeks. Uh, They often have very strange smells in them because odors get absorbed into wood and things like that. Uh, But um, a lot of times people will try and convince themselves that there are natural explanations for the things that go on because contemplating the supernatural just becomes very uncomfortable for them. Sure. Well, we're going to talk about, uh, you've compiled a list of eight reasons, the top eight reasons why a house is haunted and what to do about them. Uh, and, and as you, um, you know, I go down this list, there's a lot of, a lot of reasons. Uh, and as you say, they don't have to be old houses. Brand new houses can be haunted, uh, you're saying. How, how often do we find that new builds, as they're called, uh, in the industry, new builds are actually haunted? I hear more and more from people who are living in uh, very new places who uh, usually they move in. Uh, they might be the first occupants. They, they might be in a house that's, say, five years old or ten years old and um, maybe one other occupant before them. And they have activity. And uh, they have this idea that a place has to be old to be haunted because that's a very popular notion that's been uh, portrayed in films and in the media. And uh, yet they can't explain what's going on. Uh, increasingly, we're building on land that has energy in, uh, in it. And uh, there are spirits who live in the land. And if we put a house down on this energized land, uh, this structure is going to be occupied by the invisible residents. As we go more and more into rural areas, places where human beings haven't lived before, uh, this is happening. 
And of course, uh, <clears throat> we have the uh, you know the, the the movie Poltergeist, which uh, ended up being as a result of the house being built over an ancient Indian burial ground. Is that is that prevalent? Does that happen a lot, where a house is built over an, a, a, a burial ground or next to a cemetery, and then there's activity in the house? It does happen, and and sometimes uh, people uh, think that that may be the reason. For example, that um, their their house is located on an say an old Indian burial ground. Uh, well, people have been buried everywhere on the planet, and uh, certainly in, in um, ancient times there weren't any formal cemeteries. So, in a sense, um, living things occupy the bo- blood and the bones of the soil everywhere. But uh, there are uh, many cases where old cemeteries have um, been, um, they aren't used anymore, they've been neglected, uh, or uh, we, you know, we've pushed into areas that had been occupied by indigenous peoples, and um, we put up houses, and uh, the dead don't seem to like that very well. Um, There are many folklore traditions all over the world that disturbing the burial places of the dead creates havoc for the living. And, uh, yes, we do have uh, many cases on record in the the paranormal um, of uh, people discovering that their uh, their building or their home uh, has been uh, placed over land that probably still has people buried in it. Uh, sometimes old graves aren't relocated. Um, sometimes they're not entirely relocated, and uh, those those sorts of activities can take place. I can think of some places in West Virginia that uh, I investigated. Uh, there was an entire street, for example, in downtown Fairmont, West Virginia, that it turned out uh, had been uh, built right over the top of uh, old burial grounds from uh, from Indian people. And uh, all of those buildings up and down the street had paranormal activity in it. There you go. We're talking the top eight reasons why a house is haunted and what to do about them. Rosemary Ellen Guiley is with us. Let's talk about uh, item number one on the list. Uh, you, you call it residues, the leaving behind of residues or, or of energy. This is the most common reason why places are haunted. And, and uh, when, when we die, we leave behind these energy imprints. And uh, it's like um, um, memories of our lifetime, imprints of our lifetime, uh, imbued in psychic space, and uh, actually things can leave behind these energy imprints too. We have um, such things as phantom buildings, and um, most often it's a uh, something like a person or an animal who leaves behind uh, impressions from scenes in their lives, and usually they are related to highly charged emotional events. Uh, they might be unhappy, they might be happy. For example, if a person lived for a long time in a place that they absolutely loved, uh, they might leave behind energy residues that uh, sort of collect together and become like ghosts. People might see uh, an apparition of that person, um, smells related to that person, like a favorite perfume or tobacco. Uh, These are very common phenomena that uh, are very benign. That is, um, it's not an intelligent presence that is looking to scare people, although people are frightened by it. Uh, but it's the, uh, the the shadowy form that uh, sort of is seen out of the corner of the eye or is always in a certain area, footsteps that always go down a certain hall, 
noises that are always in a certain part of a house. But these things fade and, over time, uh, do they not? They do fade over time. They have their own battery life, so to speak. And then how long they last depends on how strong they were to begin with. Um, the living can help keep them alive. In fact, paranormal investigators can contribute to the lifetime of residues by paying attention to them and wanting to capture them. That's fascinating. Sometimes if there's certain energy in the land, that helps too. All right, Rosemary, we'll take a time out. We'll come back and we'll uh, continue to uh, count down the top eight reasons why a house is haunted and what to do about them. And for you those listening, any of this sound familiar? I'm back with more of The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. Lose fat and keep it off permanently. Visit wellnessbelts.com or call 1-800-978-2358. That's 1-800-978-2358. Shaking the world and seeing what falls. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio, AM 740. Welcome back. Uh, Just a programming note uh, coming up at, uh, well, just before uh, the last segment of the show, basically. Our media scientist Nelson Thal returns with another installment of... State PSYOPs. Now, we, uh, we've changed the name, <laughs> if you're keeping track at home. It was uh, previously called State Secrets, but we've hooked it up to a, a new Twitter account, uh, and State Secrets was taken. So uh, we're calling it State PSYOPs, and uh, every two weeks, Nelson delivers a news that you won't hear on the mainstream media. That's coming up a little bit later in the hour. Right now, Rosemary Ellen Guiley stays with us as we look at the top eight reasons why a house is haunted and what to do about them. Uh, Rosemary, we were talking about residues, the um, this residue of energy, which, if strong enough, it coalesces into imprints of images and sounds and smells and minor movement. And uh, we were talking about how it can manifest itself um, Apparitions, footsteps, you know, the typical things that we associate with a haunting, tapping, knocks, distinctive smells, uh, cool breezes and so forth. What are the remedies? How do we get rid of these residues? Sometimes uh, if they don't fade away on their own, uh, doing things like redecorating or or renovating can disturb the energy patterns. And oftentimes they'll just uh, either suddenly go away or over time really start to decrease. There are other environmental things you can do, like um, doing a cleansing with incense or sage. Uh, crystals are very good for rearranging the subtle energy inside a room. And uh, I also recommend to people that they consult a feng shui expert. That's the art of placement, uh, the um, uh, use of mirrors and uh, positioning of, of furniture and things like that. Uh, again, you're looking to rearrange the energy patterns, the way energy moves through a house, and that will often take care of the problem. Number two on the list of the top eight reasons why a house is haunted is deaths, which, you know, obviously makes sense. But uh, as you point out, a house, you don't have to have had a death occur at the house for a haunting to take place. That's right. And in fact, many people are puzzled by that. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll hear from people and they'll say, I think my house is haunted, but uh, I don't think anyone's ever died here, so how can that be? Um, uh, but oftentimes, deaths will leave, again, this residual imprint. And it may be a little stronger than just life imprints because um, dying is it's a major transition of energy. And if people have died tragically in a place, like through an accident, a fall, for example, or through violence, like a crime, 
uh, or they've committed suicide, they've been uh, murdered, they had uh, a very unhappy lingering death, that can leave very powerful residual energy too. So the remedies for that sort of problem can be the same as just normal uh, residues, you know, renovation, redecorating, uh, paint, uh, move things around, um, uh, maybe alter the structure a bit, like uh, put a window in somewhere, something again to to alter the energy. And if you can locate the specific place in the house where uh, the most phenomena are occurring, that would be the place to focus on. You know, it's, I've always found interesting, Rosemary, and, and, and for those people who uh, I always bring this up with with, uh, with skeptics or non-believers, and, and you know, the old saying, a skeptic is simply someone who hasn't had an experience yet. But I always say, if it, if this stuff isn't happening, why is it is it part of real estate law that a real estate agent has to divulge uh, to a prospective home buyer that a place is haunted? Many people are disturbed by that, and uh, some of those laws also relate to having to disclose whether or not someone has died in the house. Uh, people are kind of unsettled by that, too. But we did have a famous case in New York State back in the 1980s where uh, people bought a house in Nyack, New York, and uh, it turned out to be haunted, and they wanted their money back. Uh, they wanted out of, out of the deal, and uh, it, it did go to trial. And um, some people would be very excited to live in a, in a haunted place, but for most people, we don't like to be disturbed by things we can't explain that seem to be part of another world. All right. And um, so the the remedy, if a house, uh, if someone has died in the house, and it was especially tragic, or uh, a result of an accident, or a crime, or, or you know, it was a painful, lingering illness. That, that, as you say, could leave a scar on the psychic landscape. What are the what are the remedies then? Uh, you can do the residual remedies like um, the renovation, environmental cleansing, the crystals, uh, and I think it's also important to do prayers for the dead to help the dead be at peace. And uh, that seems to affect some of these uh, these residues as well. Saturday of the souls, right? That's a good time to Absolutely. do it. Absolutely. Uh, earthbound souls. Uh, there are people, obviously, who don't make an immediate transition to the afterlife, so they sort of linger in a twilight between the worlds of the living and the dead. Tell me more about these earthbound souls and what can be done about them. Sometimes people don't make the transition uh, just sort of accidentally. They might have a sudden unexpected death, and uh, they don't seem to realize they're dead. This can go on for quite a long period of time in um, earth years, and in, in years of the living, because they're in a a kind of a limbo or twilight place where time doesn't exist. And uh, sometimes they stay deliberately. They have unfinished business. Uh, this is often related to uh, settling grudges or if they've been uh, murdered, for example, uh, bringing their murderer to justice. These are more active hauntings. And uh, I don't think that they account for that many hauntings. Uh, I think most of them are uh, residues, but I have encountered them in, in my own investigations. Eventually, these souls do find their place to the afterlife, but in the meantime, they, they might cause a lot of problems for uh, the living in a particular house. And the best remedy for that is to have a medium or a psychic uh, attempt to make contact with um, the invisible occupant, find out what their situation is, and uh, provide some help in making the transition. Sometimes it can be a matter of taking care of some unfinished business or 
um, helping them arrive at a, a state of peace about uh, what's happened to them so that they can move on. And that often will bring a, uh, an end to the activity. There's probably no more no one more frightened of ghosts than someone who's committed a murder, if you know what I mean. Well, absolutely, yes. And there, there are so many cases of vengeful ghosts. Uh, and uh, but but uh, when they're wandering around, kind of lost in this twilight, uh, it, it's hard to find the the people they want to get back at. You know, so they they just cause a lot of uh, problems for the living. And these could be active, uh, very active hauntings where people feel uh, a very oppressive presence. They might have uh, dark, uh, shadowy figures. Uh, you know, heavy energy, bedroom visitations at night that are very scary unpleasant smells, uh, a lot of strange noises, objects getting moved around, uh, discomfort, marked discomfort to the living. Now, if someone has been uh, um, murdered and their ghost uh, their ghost is, you know, earthbound, their, their spirit is earthbound, uh, is, is that why they're earthbound? Because they're waiting around, they're trying to communicate to somebody and, and let them know who was responsible for their murder? Not everyone, and in fact, nobody really knows the exact conditions that uh, create some of these earthbound cases because uh, not everyone who's, who's had uh, a, a tragic death uh, lingers on. Uh, I've been in some places where uh, murders have taken place and the haunting activity seems to be very low level. Um, it, there's residual energy, but it doesn't seem like the victim uh, the victims themselves are still around. So it's a very um, uneven sort of uh, type of haunting. And it, it may have to do, uh, again, with some of the energy in the landscape that enables people to hang on. Well, we, uh, let's talk about energized land. It's, uh, it's number four. We, we already talked about burial sites a little earlier on. So let's skip to uh, energized land. And as you say, sometimes the land itself holds an energy that enables or facilitates haunting activity. The earth is a very active uh, place, and it's got um, many areas that are known as portals. These are doorways between dimensions. The, the land uh, can have um, energy that uh, comes from its geophysical composition and contours. Um, caves, old mining operations, underground water, uh, magnetic contents of soil like iron and magnetite, uh, can contribute to these energy patterns where uh, things from other realms uh, congregate or stay. And we all know places like that, that areas that have the reputation for being highly haunted. All kinds of things go on. And uh, it, uh, these places all have certain uh, characteristics in common that we associate with this kind of activity. So sometimes when I, I get a case and I uh, hear where it is, uh, I'm not all that surprised because I've collected so many other cases from the same areas, and it does seem to be related to um, to certain things in the land itself. Now, there are uh, remedies for that. Uh, sometimes the energy patterns in the, in the landscape can be sort of rearranged, and master dowsers can do that to a certain extent. Uh, they're able to redirect the flow of energy patterns so that a house, for example, may not be so bothered. Uh, sometimes uh, if there are non-human uh, spirits causing the haunting problem, 
then it may require um, bringing in someone who's got psychic or mediumistic skills to uh, have a little chat and uh, see if some sort of agreement can be um, ar- arrived at. Uh, sometimes you, you might have to uh, get someone in who, c- who can do expulsion, for example. And sadly, I have uh, quite a few cases where nothing seems to work very well, and people wind up moving. There are these profiles in, in these heavily haunted areas where we see frequent turnover of ownership, and uh, if you can talk to um, uh, a series of owners, you find out that they all experience the same sort of thing, and it just got to be too much for them. Well, uh, and, and if you're willing to put up with some of that uh, <laughs> that uh, spirit uh, activity, you could get yourself a pretty good, uh, a sweet deal in a house in the Hudson Valley or West Virginia. Uh, well, there are, there are some places that they do wind up sitting on the market, and um, uh, I had one case several years ago, for example, that uh, wasn't too far from from where I live, and these these people got what they thought was a fantastic deal on a house that had sat on the market for a long, long time, and uh, it was heavily haunted from the get-go, and then um, they uh, sometimes people learn from the neighbors or they do research and. Uh, they they find out certain things about the area that start explaining all these weird things that go on. People have different tolerance levels too, and uh, sometimes uh, some people are more bothered than others. Um, the there are some people who are they're like catalysts, and wherever they go, if if there's dormant, latent phenomena, uh, it will get really stirred up when when they come on the scene. And other people seem to have uh, very strong buffers around them. They can even sort of deaden out the phenomena, and they're uh, they're not bothered by it at all. Uh, we're going to take a break here, but I think we can uh, squeeze one more in on the list of the top eight reasons why a house is haunted with Rosemary Ellen Guiley. Occult activity, that's... Um Seems to be a bit of a no-brainer. Obviously, if one is involved in occult activity, you're going to you're going to attract that sort of uh, that, that's, that that type of specter, I guess. Seeing this more and more too now, Richard, because all the attention on the supernatural that we've seen in the past few decades in the media, uh, that's encouraged people to try things like spirit communication, spirit summoning, spell casting, and uh, if people are dabbling around and they don't know what they're doing. Uh, they can create uh, situations in the environment where they invite spirits to come in and they don't leave, and this creates uh, haunting activity as well. So you want to do environmental cleansing. Uh, sometimes you have to bring in a, an exorcist to do literally a house exorcism of unwanted presences. And, uh, of course, if any occult activity has been going on on the property that has contributed to the problem and still going on, you should stop it. Uh, and get rid of the things that that were involved in that. Now, I have a sort of a long-running debate with uh, the mighty Aphrodite. Uh, There are certain horror pictures that she will not allow to be played in the house because she believes if, you know, if we're to watch, let's say, for example, The Exorcist, uh, that you're opening, you know, yourself up to to be visited by that kind of activity. What What are your thoughts on that, Rosemary? Uh, in a way, yes, because uh, where we put our attention, uh, that's where the energy goes, and uh, we can attract certain things. I, I think watching a scary movie isn't going to do in, do that in and of itself. 
that if you were to start focusing a lot of your attention on uh, the spirit realm, and especially the scary aspect of the spirit realm, well, it does put your your energy on a different level that could attract certain uh, unwanted presences. But I, I don't think that that, that um, alone accounts for a lot of haunting activity. You would uh, you would have to combine it with some other things. Now, people do a lot of um, seances and spirit communication, even things that they think would be entertainment or, or even of a harmless nature. Well, people can open up very powerful doorways um, without really realizing it, and that can cause problems, too. All right. Rosemary Ellen Guiley, her website, visionaryliving.com. We'll take a time out. We'll come back and talk about spirit attachments, curses and psychic attacks, and possession. That'll round out the list of the top eight reasons why a house is haunted. Right here on The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. Don't be afraid of the dark. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. To talk to Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll-free in Ontario at 1-866-740-4740. Rosemary Ellen Guiley stays with us for a few moments yet as we round out the uh, the list of the top eight reasons why a house is haunted and what to do about it. Uh, s- curses and psychic attacks, number seven. Oh, sorry, let's go to six first. Spirit attachments. Spirit attachments, Rosemary. Uh, quite a common experience. Uh, and this is something that I think is, is on the rise, too. Uh, people are realizing it. Spirits can attach to objects and literally ride into a house on the object. Um, and, um, you know, I, I don't want to say that every time you go out and buy something, especially secondhand, if you like to shop for antiques like I do and uh, estate sales and things like that, uh, but um, uh, objects that have, have been in possession of other people, uh, people leave their uh, residual energy uh, in these objects, Sometimes uh, spirits who are attracted to certain people, when those people pass on, uh, the spirits uh, latch on to objects that have the energy of that person uh, associated with it. And you acquire the object, the spirit comes along into your house. And if the environment is favorable enough, if conditions are right, sometimes they can lodge into your space and create haunting activity. And it doesn't have to so, be something uh, conspicuous like a, you know, like an antique bonnet chest. It could be something very small like a a, a piece of estate jewelry. Oh, absolutely. Anything, literally. And uh, one of my colleagues, John Zaffis, uh who who lives here in Connecticut, a friend of mine and uh, we've investigated cases together. We we're now working on a book on haunted objects. Uh, and the cases we've dealt with are ordinary things, you know, everyday objects, but sometimes a lot of second-hand things. And uh, so the, the remedy for that is uh, usually removal of an object. In fact, uh, I recall a case that uh, I had in Canada as a result of your show some years ago, and I think we talked about it on the air, where um, a mason apron had uh, that had belonged to a grandfather had uh, some energy of his that had... Uh, lingered with the object and it was inherited by a family member and they had haunting activity in the house and when they when they uh, removed the the apron from the house uh, the activity went away so removal of of the uh, object uh, will get rid of the activity sometimes the um, the spirit activity can be sort of neutralized or nullified 
But John and I usually recommend that, you know, just, just get rid of it if you, if you want the best solution. You call those Trojan horse objects. Yes, because uh, they're unexpected, you know. Something, uh, something that you don't expect comes in and then starts creating problems. And they can, this can range from mild activity to, uh, to really disturbing activity. Some of the cases that uh, John and I have seen over the years, people have nightmares, they, their health is affected, objects start moving around, they hear strange, strange sounds, and um, they don't often uh, immediately associate it with, with something that they've brought in. So that's one of the first questions that paranormal investigators should ask when investigating a haunting is, uh, have there been any major changes in uh, possessions in the house, uh, even small things. And jewelry especially uh, is um, uh, high up on the list because it's so personal and it's something that, that people can wear for years, like a favorite necklace, a ring, a bracelet, that sort of thing. Uh, all right, where are we on the list? Is it curses and psychic attacks? Um, not very common, but uh, deserves to be on the list because we do see it from time to time. Uh, there are individuals, sadly, out there who uh, try and harm people. They have magical knowledge. They know something about spell casting and about summoning spirits to, do, to go out and do tasks. And uh, they can uh, cr- create uh, environments in, uh, in homes that uh, are very unhealthy for people. They literally send bad energy or uh, negative spirits into a place to create havoc. And sometimes these attacks, uh, curses and psychic attacks, they're directed at a person, like somebody they've got a grudge match with. Uh, We see this a lot in unrequited love and in cases where uh, somebody's having an affair and uh, the person on the outside wants to get rid of a spouse or, or disrupt a marital relationship. Uh, sadly, that's it's not uncommon. And uh, so these sorts of things can happen. Uh, quite often, the agent that creates the haunting is one of these Trojan horses, like a gift uh, that is, is given. Uh, John and I have a number of cases where, um, uh, like a, an ex or a spurned lover has uh, pretended to be nice and uh, given a gift, it's brought into the household, it's really got a curse attached to it, and uh, the spirit that comes along with that then uh, starts creating a lot of problems. So removal, uh, sometimes you have to bring in an expert to break a curse. Um, there are psychics and mediums and uh, magical practitioners who, depending on what it is that's causing the problem, they, uh, they have a variety of remedies that they can uh, use to expel the unwanted presence or energy from the place. Just got like 30 seconds to talk about possession, number eight. Uh, Not very common, but like curses and psychic attacks, sometimes individuals get the attachment. They literally become possessed by a negative spirit, and that affects the household. It's not just the possessed person, but it it changes the entire atmosphere in the place where they're living, and the people around them are affected in a negative way by that. So you've got to exercise the offending spirit from the person to get rid of it from the place as well. Rosemary, always a pleasure, and uh, we will check in with you in one month's time. Be well. Thank thank you, Richard. You too. Rosemary Ellen Guiley, visionaryliving.com. Don't forget to visit her bookstore.
50 books and counting. Remarkable. All right, when we come back, our media scientist, Nelson Thal, checks in with another edition of State PsyOps. You want to stick around for that. You have meddled with the primal forces of nature, Mr. Beale, and I won't have it. You are an old man who thinks in terms of nations and peoples. There are no nations. There are no peoples. There are no Russians. There are no Arabs. There are no third worlds. There is no West. There is only one holistic system of systems. One vast and immane, interwoven, interacting, multivariate, multinational dominion of dollars. And you have meddled with the primal forces of nature. And you will atone. Everybody knows that the dice are loaded. Everybody rolls with their fingers crossed. Everybody knows the war is over. Everybody knows. The good guys lost Everybody knows The fight was fixed The poor stay poor The rich get rich That's how it goes Everybody knows And here he is, our very own Howard Beale, mad prophet of the airwaves Media scientist Nelson Thal With another installment of State PsyOps Hey Nelson, how are you? Very good, very good, Richard. Yes, um, uh, it's state psyops. I think that's a much better title of what we've been doing. State secrets are still part of it, but uh, it's a good Twitter name, at state psyops. That's right. If they go to uh, richardserrett.com and they want to uh, read these articles that you're alluding to in full, just click on, uh, you know, this week, the show, and scroll down to uh, the uh, state psyops segment, and you'll see in bold red letters and capitals, Read the full articles here, and keep in mind, PSYOPs is spelled P-S-Y-O-P-S, PSYOPs. Richard, one of the items is this 28-year-old CEO of Bitcoin Exchange, dead after possible suicide, and of course, law of averages, you know before we talk to anybody in the intelligence game, is she was suicided. Uh, Ash Wednesday Plot was a great story written by Sherman Skolnick about the murder of Dr. Kelly, David Kelly, and how they did such a poor job of making it look like a suicide that they still left the tourniquet around his arm and they didn't take the needle all the way out. They left the front of the needle. I mean, the whole thing was botched. We've got a death list, the banker's death list, and you've been following it. And, of course... There are forces that are attempting to topple the U.S. dollar. This is not new. We're not coming up with anything new. We're just connecting the dots here because you've got the attempt to topple the U.S. dollar as fiat money, as reserve currency going on. And I refer everybody to the famous book, The Conspiracy Against the Dollar by Dr. Beter. So in this case, we've got this uh, this 28-year-old woman, uh, quite lovely, uh, Autumn Radke, chief executive of First Meta... Uh, Point Limited and uh, found dead in her Singapore home February 26. Singapore police said they're investigating her unnatural death and preliminary investigations showed no foul play suspected. But Bitcoin, as you, it is growing in popularity despite, uh, despite attempts to sort of bring it down. It's still trading at about $600. 
for a single coin, and, and that has to be perceived as a threat to the the hegemony of the U.S. dollar. Yeah, remember the wars being fought backstage in the sub-media world, but the sub-media world, what we media scientists call it, the world off the radar screens of commercial media or politics. So the banker's death list is because they're trying to the, – the forces that are waging war to topple the U.S. dollar to keep it quiet are killing the bankers, Richard. Just go back to our previous shows. We've been doing a number of shows on the banker's death list that started to show up last October and November and, and has been growing ever since. And uh, again, many of the bankers on that list, and depending on you know who you follow, uh, Gerald Salente says the number is up to around 20. Many of these are Forex traders, foreign exchange traders. So again, we're talking about currency. Nelson, I did want to talk about the story everyone's talking about, and it's, it's this downed Malaysian plane, the 777. These planes have a great Great safety record, and now there's rumblings that it was maybe shot out of the sky by a North Korean missile. Let's not forget that it was Pierre Salinger who we, you and I brought Pierre Salinger on CFRB, and he was JFK's press secretary, and he reported that TWA was shot down by a missile, and the U.S. government lied about it. And let's not forget that General Benton Parton and Admiral Moore, the chief of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, took out a full-page ad in the New York Times in which he claimed that the U.S. Government National Transportation Safety Board was burned their notes and was screwing around with the forensics in order to fudge the facts and make it look like the government case was true. So, Richard, we're in, stand in line. We've got the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff talking about how planes are being shot out of the sky, and this is part of it, too. This was a missile. Somebody on board was a banker. You don't want to get on a plane with a banker that is in the way of toppling the U.S. dollar, and that's what's going on. Well, also, the other um, rumblings are that China has already issued a series of warnings about North Korean missiles, including one that crossed paths with a, a Chinese airliner carrying about 220 people just last week. So, who knows? And, uh, and the executive order was signed by Obama. We've got it on the the uh, state psyops. There's a link to it. The um, executive order where he has launched and declared war on China, Obama has. This is an economic war, obviously, we're yeah, talking about. But wars today are fought with many things. There's culture wars. The war in Ukraine is part of the conspiracy against the dollar to try and raise up nationalism in order to force the Europeans to grow so that they can topple the U.S. dollar. Meanwhile, they're fomenting Quebec nationalism. And this is being talked about backstage by the seasoned linguist, retired spies. Well, tell me more about this, what they're calling an Obama shell, this war secretly declared on China by executive order. Tell me more. Well, the Chinese are the largest creditors of the United States and are trying to discount the debt and sell it. You know, it's just like, remember, companies buy up receivables, accounts receivables. Well, the Chinese are tired of the Americans. They want to get rid of the debt. So they're shopping the debt around. And this is causing those who want to support the U.S. dollars, mostly Britain and America, the queen of the Commonwealth. Remember, fiat money is Commonwealth money. The British Commonwealth money today is fiat money. And the British and the Americans have made a lot of enemies by playing tough cop and playing the cop of the world and doing a very biased job of it. As we know, making up stories that there's mass destruction and bombing and killing innocent people. So the enemies have gotten together and are waging war against the dollar in all fronts, economic, political and military. 
first we have trade wars followed by currency wars and uh, after the currency war it often spills out onto the main stage as a full-fledged war of armies and missiles biological and weapons biological weapons, weapons. yes yeah. they've got weapons that just kill the jews or just kill the irish or just kill the blacks or just kill the italians there's all sorts of sophisticated weaponry in a number of the arsenals here exactly don't forget that. All right. Well, let's go back to Ukraine, which, of course, is another uh, uh, hot spot right now. And uh, there is talk that uh, Blackwater, infamous uh, Blackwater, may already have boots on the ground in Ukraine. What do you know about that? Well, look, Russia and America can't fight a war using nuclear weapons, so they use commandos in cities, just like kids do with video games. And the wars that you see being fought now are the wars like you're going to see in video games. The video games portray it beautifully, Xbox and those things. And that's what's happening now in the Ukraine as they fight it out over the dollar bill and the fiat money. And Britain and America do not want to give up the fiat money luxury they've had for 200 years. It would cause a great depression in America, a huge depression. Nelson Thal is uh, with us with another installment of State PsyOps. Yes, we've changed the name from State Secrets to State PsyOps, and uh, you can read the full articles on the uh, the Twitter page, State PsyOps. Again, let me remind you, PsyOps is one of those tricky words. It's state followed by PsyOps, which is spelled P, as in Peter, S-Y, short for psychological, and then ops. So it's P-S-Y-O-P-S, State PsyOps. Now, one of the stories uh, on the Twitter page is rather ominous-sounding, Nelson, and it's entitled The End of America. What do you mean by that? Well, the people who have put together this Porter Stanley and top-level economic group out of Wall Street have talked about the toppling of the dollar and the attack on the U.S. dollar in economic terms and the debt that is owed by America and how we're on the verge of a huge devaluation of the currency a huge devaluation of the currency, and eventually what will happen is that will have a monumental effect on the standard of living of the average American because, of course, it's going to have an effect on the price of commodities as well as gold. And the story uh, goes on to talk about the actual day this is going to go down, something like July, is it July 14th of this year? Well, they're pegging it at a date, and the reason why they can set a date is because it's when a law goes into effect. And the law will demand currency controls and will start to place more Big Brother control over the operations of the money world. And that's going to cause a situation where they'll very much lose the support of the world and lose their fiat currency on that day. And the Arabs will stop accepting U.S. dollars in payment for oil. So all the nations of the world that have to buy oil have to buy U.S. dollars, they won't need to buy U.S. dollars. So just think of all those U.S. dollars that have been bought to purchase oil from the Arabs won't need to be bought. There's no demand for it. There'll be a huge devaluation in the value of the U.S. dollar like we've never seen in the history of the world.